0: All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuckadelics? What the fuck, Tuckians? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. I'm in a large hotel room, not a fancy hotel room. I guess it's fancy for a, uh, a hotel that one goes to on the road. It is a Holiday Inn Express. They are not paying for that plug. I'm just trying to give those people that do the traveling a sense of where I'm at. So it's a large room with a big bed, and there's a little kitchen operation here with a microwave and a fridge and an ugly sink. There's a couple of chairs over there, and I don't know what's gone on over there. We, we've we discussed that, but if I sit here and I'm left to my own devices and I picture the possibilities of what could happen in two sort of uh, lounge chairs in a hotel suite outside of Rochester, New York, sky's the limit. Anywhere from a nice business meeting to a three-day crank bender and all that entails today on the show we have uh, ron perlman you might know him from uh the uh, the the anarchy show that thing and uh you know you might have seen ron on my show that was fun it was great working with him or you might be watching his original amazon series hand of god uh, season one's up, and season two's coming. He, he also has a book out, Sons of Anarchy. Sorry, I you know I I don't do that on purpose. I'm just I'm I'm old manning. I'm starting to old man a bit. You know the thing with the thing. It's my father who's in town, by the way. He's right down the hall in Rochester. What what is that about? Good question. Maybe you're asking why isn't he on the show? Why aren't you talking to him right now? I don't know that that would be great for everybody. I don't know that he's really a on the mic personality. I don't know if that's necessary, but I will tell you this. He's down the hall and I can feel the vortex from here. He's literally five rooms down in a similar room. I know what's going on in the chair in that room. Uh, probably a bit of sad reflection, but anyways, getting back to Ron Perlman. Uh, yeah, he's got a book out called, uh, easy street, the hard way. That's, uh, That's out in paperback, so I'll talk to Ron in a little bit, but let me get you up to speed with what's happening with me, if that's okay. Uh, Those of you who are checking out, good riddance. Good riddance to you, but I've got things to talk about, and you're missing out. Uh, The tour. I'm doing two shows at the Wilbur Theater in Boston, Massachusetts, September 24th, and then I will be at Campbell Hall at UCSB in Santa Barbara, October 21st. I'm doing a big show at Largo, October 22nd. And I'm doing a a uh, club show at the Ice House, October 23rd. And of course, there are a few tickets left for Carnegie Hall, November 4th in New York City. And I mean that there are a few tickets left. I would get those tickets. They are going. It is happening. So those are that's that update. Uh, in terms of what's going on with me personally, I've not started uh, shooting the new show on Netflix. I've not started shooting Glow. I am now in Rochester, New York. I was talking about before uh, last Thursday. My my uh, significant other, my partner, my uh, lady friend, my uh, my who? Oh, someone came up with a good one. Uh, how about my lover? My my lover's show, Sarah Kane's uh, art show at Gal- Gallery Lalong in New York City, went beautifully. It was a great event, man. Thursday night, real art opening, Chelsea style in New York. There's a lot of other openings on the street. Every A lot of people came out. I want to thank the fans who came out, fans of mine who had never met me or seen art or that art. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of my fans are creatives, and I don't like that word. How about artists? Let's go with artists. A lot of people who came out to the show that heard about it on my show uh, were painters who painted me talking and then came to see my uh, – my partner's paintings <laughs> at, at Gallery lelong Long. But I'll tell you, man, as somebody who grew up with a mother who painted as a hobby, she painted, but she meant business. She went to graduate school and didn't finish, but but she, she's painting again. I was brought up to like art. I was brought up around art. I was brought up to appreciate art. And I thought of myself as an artist. I did some very cutting edge uh, photographic essays, sophomore year of high school, very provocative, probably way ahead of their time. Uh, I did some some powerful silkscreen work, uh, maybe junior year in graphics class. Uh, I also made some business cards for a band. I did uh, never did any painting, mostly photography, but uh, I did some combined media stuff that never got the attention it deserves. Uh, senior year of high school and some drawing. I did a very Very um, provocative and uh, cutting-edge portrait of John Lennon from the 8x10 that came with the White Album that won a Best of Show Award in my high school art show. I'm not tooting my own horn here. I'm just, um, I got out. You know, I got out just in time uh, before I ruined my life trying to do that because there are people better at it, and one of them being my girlfriend, Sarah Kane, who does these large abstract paintings. And I started to realize some things about art or whatever we call art. If I could indulge myself, I've always had a tremendous respect for painters, visual artists, poets. I've always had an envy and respect for people that have the courage to put that much of their creativity into singular objects and things like a powerful poem. Holy fuck. A powerful painting. What? Punch me in the fucking face. Do it. But sometimes I don't always understand what it is I'm looking at it or why I'm looking at it or what it represents. And I had sort of a mind-blowing moment looking at uh, Sarah's paintings because they don't happen unless she manifests them. They are not pulled out of the great collective unconscious or the the strange abstract zone of simplicity beyond things we understand, beyond things that we attach meaning to, beyond ways of speaking. They are Pulled out of the universe and onto the canvas by a creative spirit that knows when they're done. That is the true gift of a painter. It's like, I'm done. Anyone else looking at it might be like, how do you know when you're done? Because look at it, it's finished, right? But what does it really mean? There's especially with abstract stuff, which is trickier for people to get, or some people just prefer not to. But what you are seeing is you are looking into a portal beyond all understanding and if it is done properly and with balance and with courage you are seeing something you know at once present and modern and primal at the same time. And it's sort of mind-blowing. It's sort of mind-blowing sort of mind the, the, the risk-taking that's involved. We, you sort of take a lot of stuff for granted when you look at a painting. You can easily walk by a painting, even the great masterpieces. And sometimes I get a little cynical. Sometimes I get a little defensive. And sometimes I, I, I think there's no hope and that nothing fucking matters. And it's easy for me to go like, what's the point? What's the point of art? What's the point of painting? What's it really doing? How is it moving us forward? It's not that that's not its job. If it could just, you know, blow a couple minds and move through uh, the world that it moved through and get the respect it deserves, it does move the dialogue forward. It does open a portal into the great unknown. It does bring something into the world that did not exist before solely for the fact of a creative expression. And we can't fucking lose that, man. And I also got the opportunity to hang out with one of uh, a favorite artist of mine that I didn't know Sarah knew. I went to the dinner after the opening, and uh, and I hung out with uh, with Fred Tomaselli who is this amazing artist who I saw for the first time like back in the 90s. He does these amazing sort of collage like paintings, but he uses like marijuana leaves and he uses hallucinogenic drugs in them and he coats them with a resin and he creates abstract sort of hallucinatory paintings using all sort of elements of painting and collage and actual pills. And I got to hang out with him for an hour. I never thought that would happen. And we we had some pretty deep talks about uh, nicotine delivery systems and power pop. And that's what you talk about when you got time on your hands and you're doing the big work. What do you got going? Well, he happens to be a nicotine gum guy. I'm a nicotine lozenge guy. He kind of want to make the jump. He wants to make the jump and never try to lozenge. So I gave the guy that uses drugs in his painting half a nicotine lozenge. I think I might have just changed his life. That said, boy, I'm I'm sort of on a, a bit of a tear that may or may not make sense. I'll finish it up momentarily. So you know what I did that I didn't know I could do because I'm sort of old manning a bit, as I said, is I got HBO Go because I got HBO on Time Warner Cable. Again, these are not paid plugs. This is just my life. And I didn't know I could just get HBO Go. So you know what I've been doing? Instead of like putting my act together and doing uh, important readings and learning things and expanding my mind is I'm watching The Sopranos from episode one. You know why? Because I fucking miss it. God damn it. Do you remember when the Sopranos were on and like you'd look forward to Sunday because you didn't have HBO go and there was no other way to watch it and you you knew that Sunday there'd be a new Sopranos and if there wasn't it'd be a sad fucking Sunday and I'm watching them all It's fucking great sitting in a hotel room watching the Sopranos when you should be doing other stuff but what's better than the Sopranos. It's so nice to have those people in my head again because they've already infused into my dreams. It's amazing. What an amazing thing that that. The Sopranos changed everything, and I don't need to plug the Sopranos. But before I forget, there's also a spectacular exhibit at the New Museum in New York. I guess I'm going to be art guy. I was going to play guy for a while, but now I guess I'm going to be art guy for a second because the New Museum has this, um, it's just all these obsessive collections of creative people that infused all sorts of purpose in their creativity, that, the, what, that, that what they were doing served a specific purpose in terms of, their life and keeping it together, awarding off spirits. There's almost a mystical element. It's a curated exhibition of specific people that did odd, you know, artistic things and, and sort of coveted them in, in series or, you know, in papers or, you know, in collections of photographs. It's pretty fascinating, but on the top floor, there's a series of paintings by a woman named Hilma off Clint. It's a Swedish woman. And Sarah, I was a huge fan of this woman. I, of course, had never heard of her. And these are these mystical abstracts. Apparently, this woman was a realist painter, and she secretly, way ahead of the of the game. Like in the early nineteen hundreds, was doing these abstracts that were sort of attempts at bringing together a mystical system that her and a few other people were working on putting together a mystical system to explain the great primal forces of the universe in a very simple thing. Because you break it right down, man. This is the thing is if you move the scrim of garbage aside and just look at the light you're looking at frequencies shapes colors cohesions through through just mystical and some still unknown mysterious forces that remain you know unexplained by science and only theorized that that these forces they propel us and everything we know and don't know through time and through universes and through these portals as i said before you tap in and the truth is simple and it makes everything in the moment that you lock into that canvas or in the moment that you lock into that poem or that you lock into that portal that has been you know offered to you by an artist it suspends and just you know devastates every element of our trivial petty garbage filled distracting dumb lives and there you look at the simple truths simple truths in one of those paintings there's a helix structure 50 years before dna was even discovered why because that woman was tapped in to the abstractions that define those mystical forces that move us through all life all space right that's what you get did that just exhaust you could you still walk by it and not see that absolutely is it really that simple Yeah, if you strip it all away and you just deal with those basics. That said, sometimes it's nice just to plow through a pint of ice cream and a Kit Kat and watch The Sopranos on a computer in a hotel room where probably bad things happened. That's all right. That's okay. You can't spend all your time in the abstract. So right now, let's go to my conversation with the lovely Ron Perlman. This conversation definitely has an art to it. And we definitely get to something. So this is me and Ron Perlman. As I said, you can uh, watch his uh, show on Amazon. Hand of God, season two is coming soon. And you can get his book, Easy Street the Hard Way. That's out in paperback now. And you can listen to me and Ron Perlman right now. This is one of these fucking shows, dude, where, like, you know, we live in a world now where people it's, tell me, like, you got to see this show, and I'm like, what's it on? I don't even know what it's on when they when they tell me. I don't I know, know what they're that,
1: talking it's about. Too, we, we've, all, we've overloaded it, right? We fucked up a good thing, didn't we? I don't know. I had we went, nothing we to do with it. We went from the golden age like, of nothing. television to, like, please stop.
0: <laughs> it's I don't even know what it is. It's the golden age of, of chaos and clusterfuck. It's, Listen, like,
1: it's, it's, it's employing a lot of people who have no reason, have no right to be employed.
0: Well, wow, I didn't say and that. I'm, but I'm working sure. with
1: some of them. isn't this your show?
0: Isn't this your show?
1: Well, I like to think it is, but then again, I, f- I think that of everything <laughs> I do. When I was on your show, I thought it was my show. It was your show. I Rhonda. made. I made it your, was, show it was your show. My show.
0: What is this hand to God business? It's.
1: It's pitch not it it it's, it's, pitch it to me. Pitch it to me. It's okay. It's not hand to God. It's hand of right. Um. It's actually um unpitchable. Okay. Great. Because I'm it's, in. It's so dense. <laughs> it's so dense. You, would you like to dense? <laughs> it's very it's very uh it's very it's very dense. It's um it's very complex. Yeah. Um Yeah, there's no way to describe it? I mean I could. How how long have we got? As long as you need, you're early. Okay, you yeah, know I, I could, I could. I'm, I'm an hour early. Are you are you the lead in this show? I am. I'm number one on the call sheet. You're number one on the call sheet, but it's a vague it's show. It's like it's like my version of Marin. Okay. Yeah. Except you're not Ron. But I'm Pernell Harris. Pernell Harris. I am a judge, um, uh, of 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 some consequence. Yeah. Uh, every street. Or Boulevard in town is named after either my grandfather or my great-grandfather. Small town. I'm that guy. San Vicente, California, the okay. fictional town. Yeah. Sort of northern California. Right. Um, Two-hour drive, an hour and a half drive from San Fran. Right. And um, when you meet me yeah. in the beginning of uh, of, of uh, our little foray, I am stark naked in broad daylight in a fountain.
0: So you're dr- a judge with problems.
1: In a fountain, yeah. and I'm and I'm speaking in tongues, mm. and I'm taken in, and I, so it turns out I've been missing for three days. And Manic it, episode. And then it turns out that we find out that my son is lying on life support, having shot himself in the head because he had to watch his wife get raped for an hour. And uh, this is the opening episode. We're, we're given to believe that he's uh, he's he's in a position where. We're being we're being advised to pull the plug. Right. So suddenly, this man. This is the first episode. This is the first episode. This is this is like old news. This right. is old. I'm just I'm just hipping you to this because you know you're, you're setting it up. You you don't own a TV, obviously. I own a TV. I don't have the time, Ron. I don't know where people find the fucking time. I don't listen. I don't even watch my show.
0: Yeah, so. I'm watching my show for the first time. I'm I'm finally with uh, like I, I'm uh, three seasons. I couldn't watch my show for one reason or another
1: it's good though isn't it
0: well, yeah i like it you're I fucking like it. good man oh that's sweet of you. you know I, I i you caught me on a good season the, it guy this is the fourth one
1: in i figured it out it was figured it yeah. was figured man i i i didn't i didn't even break a sweat and <laughs> and i'm a sweater i go through boxes of tissues <laughs> we, had some good scenes. We, had we had some good scenes we had scenes. some nice stuff you me and mc Gainey. mc Gainey acting way out of character i loved the conceit of who who it was we were yeah um sweet was really sweet. Easy to plug into uh, very very you did all my thinking for me you as the writer which which pleases me no end uh, and i didn't have to do anything except uh you know as, they, as they say occupy yeah is that what they say <laughs> i don't know i just said it i, just, I like it I'm just, just be I'm, just I'm, had to be I'm, present i'm throwing shit out all right. what do i know
0: so with the, now like getting back to i i appreciate the you know talking about my
1: show but this judge is in trouble the judge is, for the first time in his life, you know, he's gone from knowing nothing but winning, because he's, you know, he's the richest guy in town. Oh, so
0: on a personal level, he takes this hit.
1: He's the most powerful guy in yeah. town. He lives in the big house, shining house on the hill. Mm-hmm. He's got every single motherfucker in town in his in his hip pocket. Yeah, he does a lot of people favors, and he fucks up a lot of people. And is he a corrupt guy? He has, uh, he has the ability to be. He has a wife. He has a mistress. Okay. So he's living he's living the American dream. Right. You know, you know, with all with with all it's like uh, you know. Yeah. All uh, the um the uh
0: the accessories the, the
1: fringes. Yeah. benefits. And here he is so it turns out where he was in the 3 days he was missing before he turns up naked speaking in tongues is he 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 just kind of went on a stroll and ended up in this church and got saved. Oh and shit. And found God and
0: I felt like I I, th- I almost felt like I could have been saved two days ago really I'm through it I'm okay now but the, I, I realized I'm, what I I understood for some reason for the first first time in my life the idea of sin and that and the pain of being flawed and why Jesus could work for some people I mean I I, I wasn't looking for Jesus but I understood it if mm-hmm. I don't even know why I, I'm not even sure what I was thinking about
1: what was there a trigger no, but I, I, am starting. I'm trying to figure out how to structure some stand-up. Oh well, that's trigger enough. Anybody who's ever tried to to play, you know, uh, the improv, right? The comedy store knows that's that's plenty. That's well, trigger plenty.
0: Right. Well, I'm sort of fascinated with the idea of sin as not being like there was never any. There was never any. The idea of sin was only designed and and constructed to to. For people to judge themselves against, not to be sinless, but for people to accept sin, and and that you know that's something that that happens. You just want to try and keep it in check, and then when it's not in check, you have to you have to look for the relief or the salvation or the the corrective.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, okay. are you one of these guys that believe that that all of this stuff that we find in the, at the root of of civilization, meaning the Bible and yeah. civil, you know, and and the, and and the the notion of of um, uh, the dogma that comes with organized right. religion and, and all of the bells and whistles, that that's an invention so that man could figure out a way to... Behave properly? To forgive himself? I
0: don't know if it was forgive himself, but I think that it, it's probably uh, two-tiered, that it was a way for the people that ran the religion to keep people in check you know, somehow, and also a way to, to contain a certain amount of... Power. I don't think it was ever done in earnest. I think that people have to believe in something bigger than themselves to explain the horror of day to day life and catastrophe. I don't know if it was to forgive themselves. Christianity seems to have something to do with that. The Jews are not great at that. That I that I can really see. I'm
1: never going to forgive myself
0: for, for, for
1: one for just
0: being alive. For just for whatever happened this morning. Just just
1: for the every ride time, over. Every, every time I go in the refrigerator, it's, right? It's another reason to, to why. For, to it's another just you know. Foray into self hatred, right?
0: Why? Well, I think well, I'm I'm struggling with some of that right now. And and to get what I was saying about the sin thing is just that what I think about those things is that it was pretty clear. Like the seven deadlies are pretty specific on how human beings can really get themselves fucked up. So you know that the it's a good list. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, foods in there. These guys were good, man. Right? It was solid. And and just the idea that um, that this 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 entity went through all the pain possible for everybody to sort of use as a barometer for their own pain i got it i'm not i'm not i'm not saying i'm, I'm looking for it i you know i'm i'm completely happy in my recurring pattern of self-defeating de- and self-hatred with you know weird spans of manic excitement that i think are actual change and then I, you know a month later i'm like i guess that was just a good week mm-hmm. you
1: Whew i mean you know it's too much this You're is right no, off no, no, this, no 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 not just that, no just got out of catering and yeah you come over here no this is what i was talking about this ad catering with a donut in my hand are you kidding me with a couple of teamsters um <laughs> sorry to repeat the conversation <laughs> no I'm, I'm 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 starting to get it yeah no for me it's like uh um people say ron you know you need to you need to fucking smell the roses calm calm down you're so you're so on edge you're so angry yeah you know what is there to be so angry about and i said without that anger i'd be working in macy's
0: i know dude i don't know what to do about it how are we going to be happy you work constantly i'm you know i was like i'm going to talk to ron perl and let's take a look at some of the shit he's done it's like oh he's done everything there's 900 movies there's 50 fucking tv shows you Um, work constantly
1: I'm right now while while while, while, right I'm, now? while I'm talking to you. <laughs> yeah. I have my phone under the table and I'm writing a script.
0: <laughs> Why don't you just take a minute, Ron? Smell the roses. Are you afraid of silence? Fuck that shit. Are you afraid
1: of sitting with the silence, Ron? Uh, mm, no, not really. No, I'm <laughs> I, I'm really good at at, at at you know lying on the couch. Are you? Oh, phenomenal. Really? Phenomenal. Where, where do you
0: find the time to do that?
1: I find the time. I find the time, and and, 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 and it's like the uh, the workaholic aspect of yeah. it has everything is uh, uh, the, the only the only fucking good thing about getting older. Yeah, is the is the perspective is that right. is that start things you, start you, to you, mean you, less you, of a you, shit. Yeah, and and also you do start understanding that some of the things that you would have thought were completely unexcusable. About yourself and unforgivable about yourself are the very things that make you um, who you are that give you the you know your, your fingerprint. Yeah, because there's only one of everybody, right. and that and that uh, if you're lucky enough to get to the point where you feel I'm fu- I'm I, I'm living the dream because I, I I have gotten that point. I truly right. truly have gotten that point. I am the happiest motherfucker you've ever met.
0: You're grateful for that. You take that in. Oh, You're like, no, no. no. I that.
1: mean, every, every single thing that's happening is is all stuff that I used to dream about. Yeah, and it's all it's all just my reality. It's it's, it's part of my 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 daily occurrence. Like,
0: and, and but you, you don't belittle that or have any you you, you you appreciate it.
1: I love it. Good. I love. That's a good thing. I, no i love it I mean, it's scary because you know i'm wired to like you know uh feel guilty about shit why and like,
0: where'd that happen let's go back
1: well i wasn't let's I go don't back know, no i don't i don't really think i didn't want to lie down or anything like that you know uh-huh. like, and i didn't get analyzed but um well no but where does that come from i mean it's got to come from somewhere if it drove you for that long you wrote a
0: book it's got to be in the book it's you didn't read the fucking book what then? do you want from me I know you're a busy guy. It's not that I'm busy. I figure, like, if you're going to tell me a story, the problem with reading books thoroughly when I have a guest is then I lead. The, you know, then I know what the answers are.
1: Well, let me wanna... let me tell you then. So, in chapter one, I, I I like the cover. You
0: look mean and angry, and you're smoking a cigar, mm-hmm. and I'm compelled by it. It's and, a great
1: and, cover. It's a, a great cover. It's a great cover. And uh, it and, was a shoot I was doing for the cover of Cigar Aficionado. Yeah, and we we we. We borrowed one of the pictures that came out of that shoot because it's me with a cigar in my hand. Obviously, it's for a fucking cigar magazine. And we used it as a placeholder for my cover of my book. You don't and smoke them no more, right? I don't smoke them. Because we had I, these
0: conversations on set when I, we
1: were doing my show. No, I gave them up. I had, I had one yesterday. Yeah. No, I, I can smoke them, but, I, but I, I had to stop because I was using them um, very nefariously. What does that mean? Compol- constantly? N- not in a Bill Clinton kind of way. No, I know, but like you couldn't stop. I was inhaling all day long every every puff mm. and I was chain smoking and so You got it. You got the bug. Oh I was I, I could first thing compulsive in the morning compulsive guy. First thing in the morning and yeah. the last thing at night was a mm. big pull off a cigar.
0: I got a fucking nicotine lozenge in my mouth now, mm. right now. Yeah. Uh huh.
1: I it's but, great. But I'm I'm clean. I'm sober. I'm I'm I, I, I have gone beyond it. I can now actually smoke a cigar in a scene in a movie and not get a Jones. Oh yeah? To start up again. Do
0: you do anything else? Do you do you drink or do uh, only
1: socially? No. No weed. No weed. No. Not even socially. No.
0: No. No pills.
1: No. Wow. I mean, you know, Crestor, sixty-six. Sure. You no. Know. How
0: about how about food?
1: That's my thing. Yeah. That's, that's the one. <laughs> that's my. If there was an AA for food, I'd be in. Have
0: it. it. What are you kidding? They have it, right? Oh, Yeah. I have like I have food issues too, dude. Where'd you get yours?
1: uh lower middle class jewish right uh eat something darling you're not eating enough you know they were always worried about you right you know, about you, you you weren't eating enough. and it was
0: it was like back in back in the day was probably like here have a plate of kishki have some fucking kasha varnishkas. you can't find that I, shit i anymore. may actually
1: go straight to nate and alice from here now that you mentioned they gotta
0: be that's gotta be the only
1: place that has it Stuffed derma is what they, right the i same think cantras right?
0: has it but when i see it like it's a, it's a rare treat, and it's it's tasty, mm-hmm. but like who's eating it for it to be sitting there? How long has it been sitting there? Fucking Cantor's, the you'd Kishka. Be su-
1: you'd be surprised.
0: Oh, What, that I, people eat it? I think the it?
1: Kishka moves. The, do you? Yeah. I, There's still I, a few I, guys? I think the good news about Cantor's and Nate and Al's is that that shit still so, moves.
0: It's only guys like you, second-generation immigrants, you guys, who the hell, the, 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 your parents' age, they're can not around my, anymore. Can I tell
1: you my story? I have a house account at Nate and Al's. So when I was a young kid, my dad my biggest my dad's biggest year was twelve thousand dollars that was the biggest year he ever had and I mean we were like you know we were we were like Bernie Sanders in training, mm-hmm. you know like yeah socialist left wing you know yeah um and every once in a while um on a Sunday when my dad was feeling flush, yeah. which was very rarely. You would bring home the stuff called Kippered salmon.
0: Which yeah, is sure. salmon. That's not the smoked ones, right? Yeah, that's it's, the fresh it's, fish. It's oh, the smoked Kippered. Smoked it's smoked
1: yeah. salmon. They yeah. call it Kippered salmon. They used to have all these great, uh, uh, what do they call them? Um, appetizing stores in, sure. in New York City. Like, uh, like Russ and Daughters. Yeah, Russ yeah. and Daughters, like like Zay bars. Yeah. And this is where you got that kind of and stuff.
0: And that's high-end shit
1: but he would bring home for a family of four a strip that was basically a quarter of a pound <laughs> yeah. with eight bagels yeah. so two to each So it yeah, really sp- and, and he'd spread the shit out so thinly with cream cheese right well i liked yeah, i liked yeah. mine with butter but yeah. uh, but 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 my promise to myself was yeah. if i ever if i ever make a living yeah. the first thing i'm going to do is buy a piece of of salmon bigger than a quarter of a pound <laughs> And put as much on a fucking bagel as I fucking can. Until mm-hmm. till I can't get my mouth around. Yeah. So cut to, I get my first show in, in the 80s, Beauty and the Beast. Big St- show. Start making some money for the first time. Start making some money. I call up Nate Nalls because I'm here in Hollywood, and I say, uh, what day do you get your fish delivered? Because it comes from Zabar's, their fish. Does it? Yeah. It hmm. comes from the same place Zaybars comes from. And uh, they say it comes in Thursday.
0: They ship it all the way
1: across country? They ship it. They ship fly it. In? No, yeah, they yeah. fly it in. So I show up around 3.30 on a Thursday. There's nobody in the restaurant. And Al, Al who, of Nate and Al's, who's passed away now for at least 15, 20 years, he's at this cash register. It's between lunch and dinner, so there's nobody in the fucking restaurant. I go in there, I order a pound and a half of kipper salmon, I get some chopped liver, I get some bagels, I get some pickles and stuff like this. And I, yeah. said, I said, by the way, um, I would like to open a house account. And, from, uh, and I'm at the counter, so Al is like 20 feet away at the yeah. cash register. And I hear Al say, no, no, no house accounts.
2: <laughs> no, we can't do it. We can't do it. No house accounts. Sorry, you look like a perfectly nice fella. I can't. The paperwork is choking me. It's yeah. killing me. No, no house accounts. Yeah. I said okay, okay, Al. Okay, no problem. I'll pay cash. Yes. He said,
1: look, no offense. You look like a nice fella. Yeah. I said, no, it's it's good, it's good, Al, it's yeah. good. So anyway, I get about eighty-six dollars worth of stuff. Yeah. And you take the bill and the bag and you walk over to the the counter where Al is sitting and he, you put. He puts the bill on the spindle, and he takes the hundred-dollar bill. And he gives me the change, and I start to walk out, and I'm halfway to my car, and I realize I have two 20s, a 10, a 5, three 1s, and some change. Too much change. Uh, on, a, on, on an $86 bill, and I've given him a 100. Yeah. So I walk back in, and the money's still in my hand, yeah. and, and I said, Al, what's wrong with this picture? And he looks at the change, and then he pulls my bill off the spindle, he looks at the bill. He looks back at the change and he goes,
2: "Give this guy a house account. It's The first honest Jew I met in forty years." <laughs>
1: so I still have a house account in there now. Do you
0: go there often?
1: I do. I like that place.
0: No, I mean, I look. I grew up kind of. Uh, it's it's, a, it's it's good. Yeah, I'm a little very younger few. than you, but like it's like it's a very specific thing to, to find comfort in that food. You got to have it in your past somewhere. Oh, I, of I course
1: mean, you do. I mean, you grew like I'm saying. You grew up in the real shit. Yeah. When I was a kid, there was uh, was a deli on almost every block, right, and people in New would York. eat there. And on every second or third block, there was a really good deli. Now, I mean, they're not there anymore.
0: It's only because the taste for that stuff is so specific. You know, it was it was the culture then. You know, now it's like a special thing. And you got if if your grandparents like if my grandfather hadn't you know driven me into the city from Bayonne so he could pick up tongue at Katz's. Mm-hmm. You know, and built that into my brain, or my grandmother didn't make matzo ball soup and brisket, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know, because my generation is the one right after you, and we were the first ones to go, I don't eat that shit. Yeah. But where'd you grow up in New York? Washington Heights. And what is that? Is that Brooklyn?
1: No. It's, Bronx? It's, it's upper Manhattan. It's like it, near the Bronx. It, it's upstate Manhattan. O- almost it's a, a Bronx, right? Washington no? Heights is so named, because it's the highest point in Manhattan. It's where the George Washington Bridge is. Right, okay. And, and George Washington... Ergo, Washington Heights. Yeah, stood up there, and and watched the Hessians as they (laughs) as they made their way up New York. Yeah, and a decisive battle was fought because he was able to watch the march up because he was perched at this highest point. Right, so named Washington Heights. Glorious history where they put where they put the George Washington Bridge, which I think they're renaming the Chris Christie. (laughs) Aren't they?
0: Yeah, I think so. Uh,
1: So, how many kids in your family? uh mean uh siblings yeah i had a brother yeah passed away uh very young he was 38 years old when he passed away jazz musician oh really yeah what happened Mm, struggled a long time with manic depression oh found was found dead right um not not a not a pretty story so you got
0: that in your family the depression
1: i guess so yeah I mean I I mean if you'd read the fucking book you'd understand uh,
0: Why you got to say it like that? Why can't we just tell? <laughs> why can't we have a conversation about your life? Here's why. Here's why because I admire you, God, I admire damn it. you too, but you know what? The only time I read books is when I'm nervous about talking to the person.
1: I don't Oh that that's a great thing to say. I appreciate that. That's a very great compliment. But here's why. Here's why it's important I'm to me. I'm going to read it eventually. Here's why it's important to me. I'll tell oh, you why it's important Christ. to me. Right. And, 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 and you know, You want to come back another day? I'm not a I mean, does that mean I got to leave now? <laughs> Maybe. What are you going to no, say? No, I got more shit. I got more I got a lot of shit. I know you Especially do. Especially because he didn't read the book. Now I got to tell you the whole thing. That's exactly
0: thing. the point of the
1: ta- conversation. But the thing of it is, is that, uh, like, the okay, the reason I'm here, the yeah. reason I'm here is because of a guy named Phil Stutz. Okay? Yeah, the
0: therapist. I love Phil Stutz. And How's he
1: doing? Is he all right? Phil Stutz, he and I have worked for years and years and years. I haven't spoken Did to him. Did he fix your brain? He fixed me. I mean, I'm, I'm a graduate, mm-hmm. you know. Um, when I go to him now, mm-hmm. it's usually maybe twice a year, and it's mostly- Tune up. It's it's mostly, you know, every once in a while, you still go to territory where you really have never been before and don't know quite how to maneuver your way around it. Really? Within yourself? W- in the world. Not within myself. But, yeah- it, Applying how to handle something. In how to handle because the thing that was brilliant about Stutz and 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 um, why you, you, the interview you did with him on the show, which I guess was inspired by Hank Azaria, a book, a book that he wrote called The Tools. Well, Hank Azari had brought him up and did an impression of him,
0: and then uh, the woman who was the publisher of my book published Phil's book, sent it to
1: me, and I said, "Of course, Phil doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't." You know, there's no like. So, you know, what happened when your mother did this to you? and You know, like the conversation you and I were about to have about why I eat the way I do. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that there's a fucking reason. I'm sure that there was. You some, know, there's a reason. I'm sure that there's Why but,
0: you do a disservice to you? But you it, know but there is. It,
1: no, but but why? What good does it do? I'll tell you why. I I you want to know to, to to go back to that moment where you realized that that I, all the other shit you couldn't get in this life and you were three years old, you could finally get from a, from a piece of white Wonder Bread with mayonnaise on it. Mm-hmm. How well, good
0: does that do? That's yeah. a very touching image. I would, I would think that'd be a great resource creatively, that moment when you feel that.
1: Mm. You could be right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, but I'm Bill, I'm
1: gonna leave the door open for 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 you to be partially right on that well I just
0: had an experience yesterday that that speaks differently to this you know that I had a realization yesterday around this around food my mother was the opposite she was a a a, a not eater she was a anorexic person oh so what I was I grew up with you know I you know you're unlovable if you're fat you know if you put on weight you know what I mean like oh so like I had body image issues from the get-go because my mom was so afraid of fat that she she couldn't handle it in herself and my entire childhood was based on denying me food and I was a chubby kid. So like she literally said to me recently, I don't think I could love you if you were fat. That's in the last decade. But what I'm telling you is that I went back yesterday to yeah, the
1: moment. That's a giveaway, by the way. That what? She, that she would say something like that. that it's, it's, There's a good chance she, she just fundamentally can't.
0: No, no, I know she said that too. She said that like in passing, sort of like a, like a jokingly Thanksgiving one. She goes, you know, Mark, when you were a baby, I just didn't know how to love you. And I'm like, holy shit, there's the missing piece. But but that moment, the moment yesterday where I realized that, that she was incapable of it because she was so insecure in her own self. Mm-hmm. It's a powerful moment, like, and then you kind of you can let them off the hook. Mm-hmm. You know, cognitive sh- shit's fine. Yeah, you learn how to live your life, but the moment where you can actually let go of some shit or feel the grief or the sadness, mm-hmm. of it,
1: that's not nothing. Well, I'll tell you something. You know, I was b- about to say that the genius of Stutz yeah. is that um, he actually uh, the the name of his book, "The Tools." Yeah. The the genius of his therapy is that in 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 the fifty five minutes of or fifty minutes that you're that you're in session with him. Yeah. Whatever I ever brought in, in fifty minutes, I was beyond it, and simply because there was no exercise in going backward and and trying to to de- deconstruct something and and then so that you deconstruct it so you can build up on it again, which is why th- classical therapy usually takes years and years and years. It doesn't work necessarily. Yeah. His thing was okay. Here's 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 your problem. Yeah. Do this this and this. Yeah close your eyes Mm -hmm. and he gives you an an exercise and then maybe he gives you a second one maybe even a third one depending on how how profoundly deep this shit is Mm -hmm. and you walk out and you go "I, I just not only did I get past it I have wiped the slate clean and I'm fucking empowered now. Yeah. And that's that's an amazing conceit until you get to the next one. Right. But if you get to all of the triggers Yeah. and you get enough tools to sort of um redirect your your misinformation yeah which is coming from the short-circuiting of your inability to come, come cope with something on your own mm-hmm. and you get a tool that immediately totally redirects it sure. and manages it in a yeah. way where something that was suicidal and negative and yeah. dark yeah. all all of a sudden becomes celebratory and yeah. beautiful yeah so he has this thing which which uh, this will tie into everything we're talking about called the shadow yeah which is one of his tools, and this was the hardest one for me to get to because I have such an aversion to wanting to go back to the original sin. But the shadow is that kid with a, the piece of white bread and mayonnaise on it, eating it where he didn't want anybody to see him because it was so, like, the, 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 everything that you have, that you find as the, at the root of all of your self-loathing. The shame is the shadow. That's yeah, the shadow. Got it. You and you you know if you if you do this therapy diligently you summon the shadow. Summoning the shadow took me fucking years because I was so resistant to it. But finding that kid, finding my little kid that was like so in need of of being said, "Hey, you know, it's it's good. You're good, man. You got check this out." You know, and it came from, okay, you identify it, and then you, and then you treat it as if it's your own child, and you're going to give it unconditional love and support to the point where you make it feel beautiful. And now you are in control of the kid because you're taking care of it and you're, and you're telling it, and you're also at peace with the fact that that very thing that used to cause you all this discomfort and, and self-loathing and lack of esteem and everything is the very thing that makes you fucking beautiful. Right. That's
0: you know, that's that's Yeah, it's overcoming shame. Yeah. Yeah, no, but but it still sounds S- like on some sim- level. What simple
1: exercise though. Simple right. exercise. Right. I that mean you, I just described can, it to that, you. You can do it now. Sure,
0: that you can repeat. The the real trick becomes if you're used to being uh you know an aggravated, compulsive, you, you know, uh you know, cycling guy. Like if you if that's your baseline, mm-hmm. you know, aggravated mm-hmm. There's a certain comfort in that. You know, it may not seem comfortable when you're in it, but that's home to you. So when you leave home, you're like, hey, I feel pretty good. Fuck that. Fuck right. that. Right. So that's well, a that's a tricky thing to well, do. Well, that's a problem. Right. But, but that's is that but I mean it's different than what you're saying because like what we opened the conversation with was that you who am I without the anger?
1: Right right? So Oh like, no, I won't give up the anger. Right. I'll never give up the anger. I'll never give up but the isn't... righteous indignation. Okay. Cuz I'm cuz I'm totally convinced that that's where all of my genius comes from. <laughs> <laughs> all of it. But you're also happy though so that we got to qualify um, yeah, that. Incredibly happy. And the anger um, which is always right ready to ready to pounce. I know me too. Right? Constantly. I mean, right next to me.
0: Right. But so, how is that? How is that? How is that like, you know, you've dealt with your shit, you're good. If the anger is right here, like, I could trigger it
1: i don't know how but I, what's know. not to be angry about no i get look that look at the world we're know, fucking I, living in man i mean i happen to be a news junkie now i'm having a look at the shit yeah but 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 the
0: world that you're living in is you like to lay on the couch you're working all the time people know
1: you you're no. no, no. my shit's cool I, you know my. okay shit. fine But that then i okay. i'm talking about i'm talking I get about it. i'm talking about it. i'm talking about you know you you, you know, I know. You, I know. You, th- there's this there's this a civic awareness I, I, okay, so the world so, that we're right, living okay, in, that, you know, yeah. this, this, this. I, I tend to avoid this, that. There's just child child hunger. and I know, I know. And people, you know, being profiled and and you know, and and um, no, I know. So you grew up
0: with a social awareness. Like you, I you, think you bring I, up your father. You know,
1: with, were they Jewish socialists? No, 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 oh. no. My dad was an agnostic. My dad had a uh, uh, an active disdain for religion. Right. What religion. did he do? He was a um, uh, fundamentally a musician. Mm-hmm. Stopped being a musician before I was born because he decided that he needed to be responsible now that he was a dad mm-hmm. and started to go door to door fixing people's televisions, broken televisions. Back in the day when people had picture tubes and yeah. And tubes and shit. So he's uh, he an uh, on-call, on-call TV repair. He was, he dude. He was an on-call TV r- repair dude. He charged three dollars. Did he a, regret a house call? Not being a musician anymore. He never seemed to. He he. We had a piano in the house. He taught himself how to play trumpet, and we would come home from these these back breaking arduous days. Yeah, and and then play for oh, yeah. an so hour and a half he was able piano to enjoy it. before dinner ah. and com- by the time he sat down at dinner he was he was like the, the savage beast who had been soothed wow so
0: it, he used a, his passion to as a meditative beautiful hobby
1: he seemed to have an amazing balance that's great amazing balance without the without without any of the the, the self um obsessed bitterness slap trap that yeah. guys of our generation are fucking going through I mean, I, f- I feel like there was so much less self indulgent indulgence or entitlement. With, with those guys that yeah. came up a generation before me. That feed the kids. Th- that's a couple of generations yeah. before you. But you know, when you, you hear guys like Brokaw talk about the Greatest Generation, you know, the World War II guys. Did was your dad in the war? He was in the army. He didn't. He didn't ever. He, he was never in combat. Uh-huh. But he was. He was in the army during right. World War II. Yeah. And his, you know, his experience was was uh, shaped by being a depression baby, number one. Yep. And uh, somebody who, um, the, you know, sacrificing whatever plans you had in order to go serve your country was was, was not even something you thought twice about. Right. Um, and then getting on with it afterwards, not sitting around and indulging in, you know, like the horrors that I've seen. And, right, you know. right. Um, I knew a lot of guys uh, who who actually did serve and who um somehow of your
0: generation you mean
1: or his a little slightly older like yeah. i got to be very close with charlie durning who was uh, oh, a great actor the most but he was one of the most decorated soldiers in the history of this country who turned into an actor he Charles durning was he landed on omaha beach really i he, didn't know he that he took out he took out some he he lost 38 guys his, his greatest friends around him or something like that yeah. t- he took out a machine gun nest and he carried 12 people to safety and, you know, on his back. And and, uh, and then he turned into this fucking beautiful, bright song and dance guy who... Great actor. Who, 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 who spread joy into everybody's lives for decades and decades. And right before, I got to work with him a lot, uh, but I, the last time I worked with him, he would just suddenly sit there in the chair waiting for them to light a shot, and he would just break into tears. And he was trying to finally purge the stuff that he held in mm. for all those years. Yeah, Because if you ever touch, you ever say, yeah, hey, I heard you were on Omaha Beach, he would change the subject. And then right before he died, and I've seen this with other veterans, he he needed to get it all out. Mm. And he couldn't stop him from talking the, about it. Oh, really? You couldn't stop him from talking about how the how he, he never slept more than two hours a night and he, his wife would have to hold him in his arms while he sobbed because of what he saw at Normandy. So they had PTSD, but it wasn't a thing. These World War II—I guys, I don't understand. It, this. it wasn't labeled. Well, it was a thing. It was a thing, but it was—but somehow, was, was I don't. I don't. I'm 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 obsessed with this, Mark. I just have to figure out what it is about these newest, latest wars that we have guys. You know, twenty-three a day, almost one an hour. You know, getting, killing themselves. getting to the point where they, where they, whatever it was they Well, saw. one of the things that's gone is the
0: that not a second thought about serving your country, that it's a choice and that it's an occupation. And some of these guys are coming from, you know, relatively desperate situations. Mm-hmm. The war, uh, it does not necessarily have public support anymore or even have anything to do with, you know, uh, the integrity of America. Mm-hmm. a lot of times like a lot of these guys are going in and it's an ill-defined agenda. Yeah. So so you know they're not coming home you know with the the decorated heroes with the with the country support and you know if it wasn't for you guys we'd all be in trouble kind of thing. And they're not fighting other
1: guys in uniforms. They're 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 yeah, fighting you they know what they're walking into? They're fighting people that are holding up babies as shields.
0: Oh, that started in Vietnam that stuff. That yeah. whole tone.
1: Well, that's when it all that's when it all turned real dark. Yeah. And that's when war was no longer this this thing that you associated gallantry and nobility and all those other kind of abstract words, but those were the words that were associated with yep. with our efforts to 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 protect our liberties well you must have been uh, of age uh, for Vietnam no I was what happened? I basically um didn't see any um logic in our Engagement in Vietnam. Right. I, didn't, I didn't see any 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 anything noble about
0: it. Were you an actor at that point
1: already? No, I was just getting out of college, uh-huh. and it was the one li- lottery that I've I, that I won uh-huh. because the year that I became eligible is when they they went from a, a straight draft to a lottery draft where they would draw birthday numbers, right. and then if you were in the in the if you were in the top, say two hundred and fifty, you were fucking going. If you were in the bottom uh, one sixty-five, or one thirty-five, whatever was left of birthdays, you probably weren't going to get called. Yeah, I I got number four, <laughs> I won big, <laughs> and we had a thing. Um, I won't go into great detail, but you know we were hippies. Yeah. we were fucking. You know, tuning in and turning, Where were you tr- in turning on and tuning out. Where and were you? Where I were was you? at Lehman College in the Bronx.
0: So everybody's long hair. Everybody,
1: everybody's smoking dope. Everybody's dropping acid. Everybody's listening to you know to uh, the Beatles, going to fucking ashrams and yeah. shit. And you know, did tra- you have a good time? Transcendental. I had a great. I was discovering theater, but I was also kind of politically aware, and I was part of the '60s thing where you were you know, active. Yeah, there was there was a there was a kind of a everything seemed to to everything seemed to be even even my involvement in theater. See, was somehow interweaved with activism, the times that were changing. Yeah, you know. Yeah, um, that was the theater time. was very experimental. very experimental. Everything what were was, we doing like Ju- Julian Beck shit. Well, that and- was happening, and we were studying it, and we were trying to figure out where that came. That that didn't happen to be my cup of tea. It turned out I was more inclined to more classic, more traditional th- type things, but I was trying everything. And, um, what were your first uh,
0: ventures into theater at that time? Must have been pretty wild shit.
1: No, 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 because most of my theater exposure was through school. Okay. So whatever the school was doing, I was I was in high school plays, college plays, got $7,000 worth of parking tickets by going to Lehman College in the Bronx, and then decided to go to grad school in Minnesota because I figured the cops would never look for me there. And I, I really did. What, I really... The, what graduate program? Where? Uh, University of Minnesota. Doing acting? Doing um, MFA, yeah, Masters of Fine Arts uh, for Acting, yeah. Which Was ended, that a good program? It was a great program. It was um, Minnesota, Minneapolis, St. Paul is a, great. a, a Love h- it. highly cultured yep. region. Even then, huh? Very much so. Yeah. Um, the Guthrie Theater was there. The, oh, yeah, you know, I just Walk, did a show there. The Walker Arts Center. Um, you know, people have a lot. They, they're, they're, there's, there's some money in that town. There's a lot of. Uh, 3M was there. Um, uh, a lot of co- but sophisticated cultural lot of co- people a lot of, lot of corporate headquarters so there were a lot of wives who had a lot of time on their hands who had money and they shoved it all into the arts mm-hmm. so there were museums there were galleries oh there, yeah there were, there were uh, theaters all over the place community theaters all over the place so there was no lack of some place to go apply your wares so when you do the MFA there you do all of it you do the
0: Shakespeare you do the dance you do the movement mm-hmm. you do sword fighting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You do a
1: clown workshop. Mm-hmm.
0: Did you do clown My work? dad
1: used to accuse me of doing anything for a laugh. He said, you'd break a fucking leg to get a laugh, wouldn't you? You were that guy, huh? I was that guy. I, he said, you'd do anything for a laugh. Tone it down. That's funny, because a lot of your roles are, are a little heavier than that. I started off doing stand-up. No. First thing I ever did in show business was stand-up. Where? In the Bronx. For real? For reals. Like, did you do Yo. the improv? Or? No, I never got that far. I only did other people's shit. Oh. You know, I never evolved to the point where I wrote Where'd my own stuff. where you do this? I, I, I basically mostly did George Carlin's act. Uh huh. Where? Um, started off locally, and then wherever discotheque there was around, we would go, we would audition, and they would say, Yeah, you could do a couple nights here. Really? Yeah.
0: Huh. Just my last
1: just... gig was on Arthur Avenue in the Bronx.
0: Oh, yeah, it's where all the Italian restaurants are.
1: Yeah, and um, we got heckled. And Who's we? I had a partner. Spencer Schwartz was my partner. You were doing the comedy team? And Ron Perlman, Spencer Schwartz uh, on stage, we were Stuart and Perry. Yeah. uh, Because it wasn't cool to be, you know. uh, Your name? Schwartz and Perlman. Right. So anyway, we get heckled and um, we heckled back and all of a sudden, you know, about 40 guys. (laughs) Made guys. Started started for the stage. And we, 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 that bolted was, last night that we was found your final out there performance? was a back door there was a luckily a cab waiting and yeah. that was my final that was it your night. farewell to comedy and the only reason i went into legitimate acting is because you know like the old john wayne joke who's doing you know he's apparently doing julius caesar and in in um uh in uh some town in pennsylvania and and uh some woman is snoring in the front row, and he turns to her and he goes, "Hey, lady, I didn't write this shit." <laughs> the uh, uh, so that's why I went into legit theaters so that I could say, "Hey, you know, if the play bombs, it's not my fault. Some fucking jerk writer wrote this shit." Right.
0: So when you started doing theater in New York, like what what were you doing? I mean, were you doing La Mama and that kind yeah.
1: of? you were yeah so I I go I, I grew up all all through New York uh, go high school start acting in high school act all my way through college two years of grad school so there's eight years of, of stage C- finish grad school and then say okay you gotta go back to New York you can't keep running away from this start I threw down you feel like you were running away from it I thought I I, I tried to run away from it as long as I could because every every professional actor I knew had a horrific life they were all living on spaghetti and you know, in cold water flats, and you know, struggling to 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 pay the bills. But
0: what'd you go to undergrad for? Was it for what? would do you think you might? Well, I, I
1: loved, I no, I loved. No, I know. But like, did
0: you have a plan B? Or there, like another well, idea. Well, the, the
1: problem was there was never a plan B. So right. Eventually, that's
0: not the problem. That has, that's what. That's, yeah. Yeah.
1: Eventually, you gotta you gotta you know make figure it, you it know, out. You know, stand stand and deliver, or you know, move move off. So you moved back to New York. Moved back to New York. Uh, my buddy had a, a boutique in Greenwich Village. Uh, worked for him. He let me go whenever I had a play. Whenever I had an audition. What year are we talking? Seventies. Seventy-three to eighty. Exciting place, New York at that time, huh? Incredibly exciting place. Is it was and, like and all broken? Um, it was. It was very much in transition. Yeah, you know, because the '60s were giving way to something. No one quite knew what it was. Turned out it was AIDS. Yeah. <laughs> um, kind of. I mean, I hate. And to, also I, bankruptcy. Yeah. It well, turned out. It turned out. It. You know, the, all these hippies turned into yuppies, and and you know, the, the, whatever whatever it was, we were fucking, you know, a, you know, re- Fighting re- for. revolting against. Yeah. Just absorbed you was 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 just a big wank, uh-huh. you know. And uh-huh. I think so. What kind of theater were you doing in the seventies? I was doing a lot of classics. I really loved. I really loved. I had got very lucky, um, uh, because I met a, a professor at Lehman College, yeah, who brought me through from from Aeschylus to Sam Beckett and everything in between, yeah, like the entire history of of of, of Theatr- so you were a
0: full-on theater
1: guy, Theat- it, 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 theatrical. It literature. wasn't
0: about movies, really. You wanted no, to be a stage was, actor, it was,
1: but it was about it was about the literature of theater, the art, the literature. Yeah, not the art. The art came later. The literature of theater. Yeah, like uh, what the Greeks started doing, and then you know everything that that w- they died. Yeah, only to be replaced by something else. Then they died, but. Through every phase of history, there has been theatrical literature. Yeah. Um, up until now, there's yeah. hardly anybody writing plays anymore because you can't make a living doing it. I and just talked to a couple guys. There's some good shit around. There's this some good shit around. But, but, you know, arguably, we're not living in an age where people like Tennessee Williams, Eugene O'Neill, Samuel Beckett, Gunter Grass, uh, uh, um, William Inge, Edward Albee are all walking the earth at the same time. Right. I, when I was learning my value system, all those guys were not only walking the earth, but they were Harold Pinter. They were, they were what people had to aspire to, had to look up to. Yeah, we don't live in a condition right now that supports that particular kind of. And my theory is it's not because a, a Tennessee Williams isn't being born every five minutes. It's just that, he, he you know. His ability to get to the marketplace has been completely stultified. That's true. So he has to go find a way to, to to do something to keep his lights on, and that usually means he's going to be working at FX or Amazon, or and thank God for those places mm-hmm. because right now that's where all the great literature.
0: It is. was definitely I, what I've learned from talking to people that lived through this, and yourself included, is that it was a much more intimate business, and you. you in in the sense of outlets and people who are truly gifted and, and full on geniuses that did the work, we're, we're celebrated more because because of that intimacy, you know. Now the whole thing is broken open. There's a million different outlets. There's there's the issue of 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 corporate occupancy of the arts uh, and very little public support in a lot of ways. And there's just thousands of people doing things, and they can do it on their own. But back then, if someone came up through the ranks and all of a sudden there was a play and it had to be reckoned with, it was reckoned
1: with. It was a small community because, because there was an edifice into which it could plug into. Yep. And it was a thriving edifice. you know. But the, it was
0: also a small, you know, it was like, you know, I, I think that the politics of the business and, and, and sort of the competition was always there and there was even less opportunity. So the motherfuckers that got through had to be real fucking geniuses.
1: But that's true of any generation. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. However, what is not true of every generation is, 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 is what, what's happening now is that the edifices have all been ripped away including the record industry. Like, I have a kid who uh, she recorded her first album of 10 songs that she wrote, and if she had done that literally two years earlier, she'd have been signed. They would have given her $3 million, $1 million to make the album, Mm -hmm. another million dollars to um, uh, turn her into a brand name, and a third million dollars to send her out into the world on tour. And by the time all those three things happened, if she was meant to be a star... She was going to be a star, and 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 they had a revenue stream. Yeah, it's all broken open now. There's 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 no edifice. It's become so difficult to sort through because there's always been yeah, fifty five layers of garbage before you get to before you get to Stevie Wonder. Right, but somebody was in charge of sorting through that. Right now, but, we all just have to do it. For and, you there, anyway. and there was a place where somebody would be playing something, and all of a sudden they'd hear. You know, for once in my life. And yeah. they go, holy shit! Yeah. Get him on the fucking phone. Right. And all of a sudden, the world has Stevie Wonder, and, right. and not just you and me, because so, we happen to catch him on YouTube, right. but the fucking world has Stevie Wonder. Right. And he's filling stadiums all over the world.
0: So, so you're doing the classics,
1: you're in New York. Uh, and I'm still doing the classics. Yeah.
0: But yeah, amazing career. So like, I'm just trying to like, you know, how did what were how did you come to Hollywood? What happened? So you doing you're doing theater in New York? What was the break?
1: Because it seems like you were eating a lot of shit for a few years. Um. Yeah. I mean, I I um I had uh um sporadic moments of sublimeness on uh, stage throughout my whole young life. Yeah sporadic moments of of sublimeness uh met a guy uh right after I got out of school named Tom O'Horgan. yeah, and Tom O'Horgan was known for hare Jesus Christ superstar lenny he yeah. directed all those things oh yeah i caught I caught him in in his waning days mm-hmm. but we made some noise and so f- or, you know the the play that we did got a huge amount which way. It's called The Emperor and the Architect of Assyria, or The Architect and the Empress of Assyria. It was, it was a very, very angry, expressionistic Spanish play by a guy named Fernando Arabal. Mm-hmm. But we fucking set the town on fire in New York at Ray reviews. What and, year was that? Uh, 76. Oh, that's exciting. And so from that I got um, uh, an equity card. From that I got a fir- my first agent and everything like uh-huh. that. And then uh, nothing for three years. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I thought you
0: were gonna go. This is it.
1: Yeah, and then uh, 1979, um, I get called in to to do this uh, audition where uh, I'm supposed to try to act like a Neanderthal, and so I cavalierly go and I I treat the fucking director because like, he's French and he seemed like he seemed like he was wearing he was wearing jeans that had that had that had that were ironed. Yeah. You know, so you, you you're you, you, full do, of the hate. Do you iron your jeans? No. Do you have you have like a crease in the front of your jeans? No, no, no. This motherfucker a, to, had creases. Those in are the front.
0: dry clean jeans, my friend.
1: He had he had he was a Frenchman. He had a sweater tied around his. So you shoulders. got you got the right attitude going in this. He had perfect hair, uh huh, and he was French, uh-huh. and. And he was doing a fucking caveman movie, and uh-huh. I, 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 all I could think of was Victor Mature and Virginia Mayo in, in 2000 BC, yeah. where she's wearing, you know, loincloth, a loincloth, loin and and eye <laughs> and shadow. Yeah, you know, and yeah. he and he's he's perfectly shaved,
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: with great hair. Yeah, and so I cavalierly went through this whole audition process, and the day they flew me to London for the final audition. I found out that this Frenchman had won the Academy Award for black and white and color for best foreign film and that he was a serious motherfucker. Yeah. And on the last audition, I finally got nervous, but I hadn't blown it. I didn't get so nervous that I blew it. They gave me the part. It was uh, called Quest for Fire, my first movie, 20th Century Fox. It's a big movie. Huge budget yeah. for the time, for 1980. Academy Award winning filmmaker do the movie, it's got Anthony Burgess who wrote uh, Clockwork, Clockwork Orange, yeah. he's writing the, the, the glossary, it's got um, uh, the, the greatest uh, um, anthropologist in the world, he's setting up the world for us. It's it's just teeming with class and, and teeming with- It's got with, Ray Don Chong. It's got Ray Don Chong. It's, it's teeming with integrity, yeah. it's teeming with, yeah. it's the most serious look anybody's ever taken at 80,000 years ago what that might have looked like. right? And it's not playing. It's not fucking playing. And um, we do the movie, rave reviews, get a couple of nominations. Nothing yeah. happens for three years. Again. Again. Three years. Three years. Nothing. Nothing. Then that same dude who did Quest for Fire uh, comes back and, and hands me a, this another fucking trippy gem called The Name of the Rose. But Quest for Fire was like, that was really, there was no English in that. No, there was no, there was no. I mean, it was like you were. It was like a silent film. But that's with hard s- acting. With sound, yeah, it was hard. I mean,
0: you had to, like you had to draw from all your resources. No, I'm
1: telling you, it was a sublime, I know, artistic endeavor. Yeah, which was received in a beautiful way, but but there wasn't a commercial success. Right, none of the things I were doing were commercial successes, including the thing at La Mama. But the people who I cared about, you know, their opinion, they were going, "Holy shit, this is some trippy shit." Yeah, and. You know that was that that was that was plenty for me. Yeah. Then um, three more years, and then he decides he's going to do The Name of the Rose, which uh, was like for two hundred weeks number one bestseller on the New York Times bestseller list. Yeah. On Echo, and a lot of people were trying to do the movie. Yeah. And he gives me this role of, of the Hunchback, which yeah. is almost as colorful as the one in Notre Dame. Right. And it's Sean Connery's in it, and and uh, what was that like working with him? Oh, beautiful, beautiful. I mean, you. You, you you certain you, you know you you have certain expectations of your of your true heroes cuz yeah. i don't have you don't have that many heroes yeah guys from that generation are the only guys who could ever who could ever um be in the category of heroes for me anyway yeah you know the sean Connery. he was the end of of all the guys who were larger than life he was the last bastion of that and when you meet a guy like that and he doesn't disappoint that he's a real fucking og He's a he's like he doesn't he doesn't suffer fools. He drinks hard. He plays hard, you know. He lives hard, and he loves to laugh and sit there and have a great time. But when they say action, he is like he's like Michelangelo, you know. So that was thrilling. Yeah, thrilling. Uh, so name of the rose happens. Uh, How that hum- would be received? Very, very beautifully by the press. Didn't make a lot of money, but it broke even, like most of my shit. And then uh Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Um That's how everyone knows you. Yeah, goes for two and a half years, prime time CBS, uh the show finally ends, the phone literally doesn't ring for three <laughs> fucking years. Why do you think that is, Ron? I don't know. I just it's I just, just the
0: nature of the business?
1: I think that um I think that um I mean I you know, I think I would be immodest if I even tried to address that or, 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 or answer that. Right. Um, but I think it has something to do with the fact that none of those things were indic- indicative of of making me saleable. Right. For sure. None of those things were indic- indicative of saying, oh, oh, this is the guy who's going to be doing this for the rest of his life, you know, because each one of those were kind of one-offs.
0: And also you get cast as not necessarily a heavy, but a heavy presence
1: you have a certain intensity and look to you, but none of them were s- sort of said. Oh, oh yeah, we get, he'll be the third. He, he'll be the he'll be the best friend of the lead for the rest of his career. Right. He'll be Zach Galifianakis. Right. You know. He, you know. You know, you see most people and you go, Oh yeah, he's going to be that guy. But did you want that? Well, I thought I did because it, having the phone not ring for three years and and always being on the verge of selling your house. Yeah. You know, or or pulling your kids out of fucking school. You know, that's not fun. Scary. It's it's not fun. It's just not fun. Um, so what I really wanted was some sort of seat at the table and some sort of feeling that it, everything wasn't always going to be f- complete feast or famine.
0: Especially after fifty, yeah. Like you did a like fifty five, sixty episodes of that thing, of Beauty and the Beast. So you you banked all money. Yeah, yeah. Just enough to get into trouble. Right. And just, and just enough to uh, buy my
1: first house, and then you know. And then and then, and then not wait work for three years. So, were you like after right. I made my first down payment, and you yeah. got a wife
0: and two kids at that point?
1: Yeah, w- wife and yeah, the, the 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 second kid got born the year they canceled Beauty and the Beast.
0: Now, so. but what kind of guy are you when that happens? Do you freak out? Are you on the, I, yelling I, I, at your I, agent? I, I
1: call Phil Stutz. That like, was when he started with Stutz. I call I call my shrink. I say, how do I do this? And there were times where I really didn't have the resources, where I was in total Panicsville, where I was like. Getting ready to throw everything overboard, you know. Where I was, you know, I was like, uh, I I don't know. uh, Never did I think about getting out of the business because I. I What are you gonna do? What am I gonna do first of all? What am I ever gonna do that gives me the thrill that this thing gives me, that that sort of uh, engages me in. You know all my cylinders are pumping when I'm doing it you right know, there's nothing that even cu- ever came close to that but so, you're still doing you know parts in movies at that time right yeah, little yeah, parts yeah. here and there things that I would rather not have been in you know things that I'm not proud of yeah you know, things that just work you know yeah you know just just shit work and then um I met Guillermo del Toro and and uh, I've been steadily working ever since. Yeah. he's He actually was the one that changed my life for, I finally got momentum and it's, it, yeah? it, it is yeah, Yeah, and you credit
0: him exactly?
1: Like it, he's the guy? Credit him exactly. He's the fourth leg of the stool. Uh-huh. There, were, there was uh, Stutz. Yeah. There's the guy in, in college, Arzemanian, who taught me how to love literature. Um, there's Jean-Jacques Arnault who gave me um, Quest for Fire and Name of the Rose oh, okay. and Enemy at the Gates. Yeah. And then there's Del Toro, and you know, there's like uh, any one of those people in in somebody's life, yeah. That is is that much of a game changer for you, where you're completely going in one direction, and all of a sudden the whole direction changes. It changes your whole perception. Any one of them is is a good thing to have in your in the arsenal of living a life. But to have you know four people who who had that that much of an impact and continue to yeah. Um uh well, that, that Del- was that was that was when I realized holy shit prom you know you you know whatever whatever little moments of discomfort um you are a very very lucky dude. Yeah. And how did with the he he directed the uh He, directed, he directed a little movie called Chronos. Right. It was his first film. Yeah, 1992 or yeah. 3 or something whatever it says there. And that was when after Beauty and the Beast, that was the first job I did in three years. Yeah, um, but w- w- his coming out party was for real. This was a, like a, f- a, a filmmaker that that the world was going to stand up and take notice to, and everybody realized from his first movie, this little tiny little weird vampire movie. Yeah, that, that he was the he was going to leave behind a body of work, uh-huh. an important body of work. Yeah, and. Um, not only did we have a great working relationship, but we turned into great pals. And then he did this seven-year um, um, battle with a, a, a studio and a half. Because for five years it was at one studio. And he kept saying Ron Perlman. And they kept saying Nick Cage. He kept saying Ron Perlman. They kept saying The Rock. He kept saying Ron Perlman. It was Hellboy. And it took him seven years, but he finally won me the role and got the picture made. And now no one can see it as anybody else. Yeah, but I mean, the, the that the, that was like, he, I don't know, I I yeah, I've never seen anything quite like that before. Where somebody could have made his movie twenty times over, yeah, he could have made his movie twenty times over, but just by going, yeah, all right, I, I this is a losing battle, I, and I, I, even I was saying to him, take dude, it, dude, <laughs> you're not gonna you're not gonna get the movie made this way. <laughs> yeah, you know, give me a small part, you know, you know, pl- let me be an FBI agent, or something, yeah, um but he did that. So that was a game changer and then Hellboy 2 and you know and then Sons of Anarchy. Everything sort of started one thing started leading into another, which is what I mean by momentum. And you're in your 40s. No, I'm in my 50s. At that point. I'm in my 50s. So it's, chipping it's, away, it, doing things you're not proud of, taking whatever you can to stay in the game. 40s was that. Yeah. 50s was when the momentum started. Life began in a, in, Me a, too. in a strange way. 50s was my was a phenomenal decade thank god and the 60s aren't so bad either, so far knock on knock i'm not gone well
0: it's like it's it's amazing because like uh sons of anarchy was huge got a nice tight following we're in parking lots shooting my show people are coming up to you with stuff to sign dolls right. lunch boxes i don't right. know what the fuck it was right. people love that show yeah. like you locked into something that even in this media landscape where the edifices are limited where, you know, one thing you can find that uh, is, especially with a show like that and with a personality like yours, and is that a very loyal fucking following. Hellboy's the same way. There's a certain group of people that love that fucking movie that probably see it once a year. Right.
1: Right? Yeah. And they love you. No, 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 no. The, the, the fans, are, even Beauty and the Beast, the, the, the fans are, were, were rabid. They were a small number, but they were rabid. They That's were the like, way it works now. And it's probably better for you that you weren't some sort of you know
0: major movie star that had a five year window and then became sort of like a like what was it like to work with Brando at the point you work with him?
1: It was that's that's something you know we're either going to have to do another podcast or you're going to have to read chapters twenty. And no, you're going to tell me the story like a fucking Jew. Twenty and twenty one. <laughs> well, Brando was. I mean, I I I don't even know where to begin. I mean, you know. Of of all the actors who love Brando, yeah. Of all the actors who are obsessed with Brando, of all the actors who, who try to emulate him and 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 figure out covert ways of 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 homaging him without being caught, no one is bigger than me. <laughs> N- th- nobody has more <laughs> revere for that motherfucker than than me. Yeah. There are there are others that are kind of tied with me. Yeah. But no one has more. So when I heard that he was doing this film and that and that there were and and that it was tailor made because. It was the Island of Dr. Moreau, so everybody in the film had to be wear these transformational makeups, and that was my thing. That was my wheelhouse. I had already done Quest of Fire, Transformational Makeup, Name of the Rose, Transformational... So I was known, and, and Beauty and the Beast, so I was known as this guy who liked to work behind rubber. And, and,
0: we, and we had the patience to go through 20 and, hours. Yeah,
1: and, and, uh, and that I dug it, and yeah. I, there was no complaining. There was like, you know... Yeah. And so I was a shoe-in for this next Marlon Brando movie, which... I never imagined I would ever. Had be Have you ever a, met him? I had never met him. Oh my god! So, uh, Richard Stanley. Uh, there's a documentary called uh, "Island of Lost Souls." I think. Right. Um, Richard Stanley was was the genius. He was he was he was kind of a low budget wunderkind yeah. who had directed a couple of really cool, edgy, low budget, stylish movies. Uh-huh. New Line. He went to New Line with his newly formed. Little notoriety. He was yeah. kind of a, he was a kind of an egghead. Yeah. Very. He, he, he stumbled when he spoke, and he was very, but very brilliant guy. Yeah. And, yeah. But not, uh, not a, not a battler. Yeah. Like a real intellectual. Yeah. Um, and he's the director. He goes to New Line, and uh, he he pitches the the notion of doing Island of Dr. Moreau, yeah. and they say, Well, this is fascinating. It's time that we do this because vivisection has suddenly now become. Whereas H.G. Wells wrote about this in 1895, right, right. now it's actually cloning is actually on the on the radar. So, yeah. can you get somebody? And he goes to Brando, and Brando says, I, "I I will, I will." He watches his movies, and he he signs on. Hire everybody. Stan Winston for the makeup. They hire me. They hire you know a lot of a lot of motherfuckers all yeah. over the place. Go to far north Queensland, uh, Australia, to start shooting, and um. On the fourth day, they fired Richard Stanley. Why? Uh, because uh, on the fourth day, he was four days behind. <laughs> <laughs> Through a, a series of happenstances that most of which were not his fault, but he, right. he got he, he got the rug pulled out from under him by some very crafty shady motherfuckers. Yeah, who did not appreciate him wielding power. You know, on, yeah. a, on a big thing yeah. where he was not ready yet. Right. I was still in L.A. I was meant to go out on the next plane. But they said, hold on, uh, we may not be doing the movie. Um, Then I heard rumors that they're not going to do the movie unless they can find a director that Brando approves of. Mm-hmm. Then I hear that there's uh, I'm starting to get emails from from director friends of mine like Hey I got a meeting with Marlon What should I expect And I go I don't know I never met the motherfucker <laughs> yeah. But uh, good luck Yeah <laughs> Well What about this movie I hear it's a clusterfuck <laughs> I said Yeah I hear it's a clusterfuck too But I'm, I've, I've I'm got my ticket I'm, I'm 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 you know 22 hours away on, by plane So I don't know what the fuck I mean It's all just rumor and conjecture yeah. at this point point. Um, and then there's this like a like one car would be going up to Mulholland Drive while another one was coming down. To Brando's house, This steady parade of cars of directors going up to pitch their their version. The guy who ends up getting it is John Frankenheimer. Who, He's an old timer. He was an old timer. He was uh, he 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 was exiled from filmmaking. He made very very big films in the fifties and sixties and seventies. Um, Manchurian Candidate. Uh, seven Days in May, The Train, yeah. Birdman of Alcatraz. Oh, that's good. But he was an alcoholic. Right. And he destroyed his career. Yeah. Just, and for 12 years, he went into exile. And the way he came out was he started making these very big mini-series that got all these awards. And suddenly, Richard Stanley's out. We're looking for a director. Frankenheimer goes up to Brando's house, and Brando says, maybe
2: it's time, maybe it's time for you to finally get back what you lost,
1: you know? <laughs> And uh, <laughs> yeah, Frankenheimer becomes the director. Frankenheimer right. <laughs> goes to Australia. Another couple of weeks and go he, by.
0: Randall probably knew him, right?
1: No, never met. Him. Never met. Huh? Another couple of weeks go by, and uh, they say, "Pearl, okay, get on the plane, go." Yeah. I show up. Uh, after about two or three days, we have our first welcome Marlin party. Yeah, he's supposed to come on the plane. Right. And we had a welcome Marlin party for the next three weeks, every night. And he never showed. They fi- he finally did show up, and uh, um, I can't imagine what you're doing. Like, what the fuck is everybody? Is like, everybody, you know, it's like he's like the Wizard of Oz. I mean, yeah. you know, he's like he's like it's like the you know the Dalai Lama.
0: So, part yeah. of you is an actor who's like been around John the block,
1: Lennon. who knows the
0: game, and, and is sort of like, "What is this bullshit?" But the other part of you is like, "Yeah, I got to meet Marlon Brando."
1: That's the I only reason why. I'm here. That's the I only know. reason I'm putting the shit on my face and becoming this fucking, you know, ram with with uh, like goat with Rams ears. Yeah, you know, that's who I'm playing. Um, to so meet I could, so I could be there. Yeah. So I could be in his presence, right? So he finally arrives, and uh, let me jump to our first day on the set. We're doing the scene I'm playing the, this character out of HG Wells called the Sayer of the law and he would intone in these incantations because he would be the one if if one of these animals stepped out of line they would have a trial and he would be the one intoning the laws of these animals that you know not to not to slurp but to sip right that is the law yeah not to walk on all fours that is the law and and it was this thing that HG Wells wrote. So I had to do this at this big trial where Moreau is presiding, and I'm 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 the guy with the staff. Yeah, and I decided to play him blind because I I I, I suddenly you know I think I was smoked some peyote and I said oh justice blind yeah hey that'd be cool
0: yeah and they let you Frankenheimer was and Fra- okay with Frankenheimer
1: it? says let me think about that Rom, and so he thought about it for a day. He said okay I like it yeah, um, and I went to the makeup guys and I said I want to have those you know milky lenses yeah yeah and they say well you the only way to do that is th- the lenses are actually opaque you cannot see through them they'll yeah. <laughs> they'll make you blind and i said that sounds cool yeah it was biggest fucking stupid bonehead move <laughs> you know i couldn't hit a mark for the rest of it. i had i had to and I, ha- I hated them putting the lenses in and taking them out so once they put them in i would just sit there for like 3 or 4 hours through lunch and everything, just just so that they wouldn't fuck with my eyes. Blind, and I'm blind. I can't see. I have to be led everywhere. <laughs> and you're wearing horns, and I'm I'm trying to do a performance. I can't hit a mark. I have no idea who I'm. You're who working I'm, with I'm, your hero. I'm. I'm. I'm Brando is, is is a foot and a half away from me. You
2: can't see him.
1: We're on this little platform that you know uh-huh. that that's big enough for his chair yeah. and me. Yeah, and he's like he's got a throne, and I'm there with a the staff. And I'm giving these incantations. So we do the first shot. It takes us about 12 takes. We finally get this big shot. And then we're gonna move in from Marlon's close-up. And uh, so Marlon is talking to uh, Frankenheimer. He says, um, um, I, uh, First thing I want you to do,
2: John, I want you to take all these extras and put them in the shade and give them a Coke. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and he says... and and. I don't know who this
1: guy is over here, but get get rid of him. (laughs) He's talking. He's talking about me. Now I've come, I've come eighty-five thousand miles. You know, (laughs) yeah, forty-five years to be in this guy's presence, and the first thing he says is, "Get rid of this guy." I don't know who this guy is. Get Get rid of this guy. So Frankenheimer says, well, we can't get rid of the extras, Marlon, because we need them for their reactions. He says, it's a so close-up on me, John.
2: What, what, what do you fucking need? To Put them in the shade. They're dying. There's no ozone. We're in Australia. Put them in the shade. Buy them a Coke. Take it out of my salary, John. Don't be a fucking Nazi.
1: And Frankenheimer says, Marlon, I, I, I protest.
2: I'm not a Nazi. He says, did you ever see a movie called The Young Lions? He goes, oh yes, uh, Edward Dimitrik directed that uh, you and Montgomery Clift and Dean Martin. He says, "Well, I know Nazis, John, and you're a fucking Nazi. Get rid of, the, get rid of the extras, and get rid of this fucking guy. I don't know what the fuck he's saying. I don't know what he's doing. He's
1: very distracting." And so. I'm starting to, like, really get nauseous now. I'm, I'm about to throw up in, in my mask,
2: yeah. <laughs> you know, which
1: <laughs> <laughs> reminds me of the me. movie The Verdict. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you throw up in your mask. It's yeah, yeah. not a good thing. So, um, uh, he says, I'll make you a deal. Uh, I'll get rid of the extras, and but Perl- Perlman stays. He goes, who's Perlman? He goes, this guy is Perlman. He's playing the sayer of the law. And Marlon, for the first time, I guess, looks. I don't have my lenses in right now, so now I'm watching. I can see all this shit because we're yeah. getting ready. To, and uh, he looks at me and he goes, "Well, does he have to say those really dumb lines?" <laughs> and uh, and uh, and Fragonard says, "Well, that's in the script. That's the script you you agreed to do, Marlon. He he's he's the sayer of the law. He says he has to say those lines." And I said. Um, um, H.G. Wells wrote those, sir, and he goes, I, I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> and so he says, Look, the extras can go, have a Coke, Perlman stays. <laughs> he says, All right, but tell Perlman, and he's, <laughs> now he's talking to me through Frankenheimer.
2: to just say it as quietly as he can so maybe I can't even hear it because it really
1: sucks. It's bad. <laughs> And so uh, oh the God. the discussion goes on for so long that the first ad says, "Okay, we got to go to lunch, right?" Right. I walk off the set. I go and I throw up. I like I go just out of humiliation. Yeah, I, I just go I I just all my life I've been fucking fantasizing about this guy. I would fuck this guy if 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 you know if yeah. I had the chance. Yeah. And he hates me. Oh, he, he he thinks I'm a fucking idiot. He he thinks I can't act. He thinks I talk too loud. Uh, and, and 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 I and I'm I'm projectile vomiting through lunch. Really? And I and I have all these and I, I'm really far from Phil Stutz, so I can't call him on the phone and say, Phil, what do you do <laughs> when your hero has just destroyed you and you're about to go play a scene with him one on one. Wow, what a unique situation. And by the end of lunch I said, you know, um it would have been nice it would have been really nice if me and marlon would have hit it off and we could talk about shit and, you know streetcar named desire and on the waterfront and mm-hmm. i could tell him about my my ex ex you know my my you know flights of daring dude but it just didn't happen but here i am they they've paid me they've hired me to do a job I'm a professional actor and i got to i got to do this performance so fuck him fuck that over that fucking overweight over the hill, piece of shit, fuck him! I'm going to destroy him in this scene. That's where the anger works, and that's and that's what I channeled. And I because I, I had to get my self confidence. Yeah, I had to. I mean, yeah. I was going to go out there with nothing. So we do the scene, and um, and he, but I could feel us uh, doing the scene where I, I have a, a couple of lines, and then he speaks, and, and then he, I have a couple. Of lines. When you got the contacts in, and and he speaks. I got the contacts in, and um. We do it a few times, and by the other the last next to the last time we do it, I can feel him on my wavelength. Yeah, like, like uh we're now acting together. Right. And that must be an acute sensitivity you can't see, so you got you really got to feel it. But I can I can I can feel like because I'm I'm almost like the chorus in a Greek play, right? And he has to come in and top it, yeah, yeah, you know. Right, yeah. right. So right. there's a kind of a it's like the chorus and So he's got to work off. Of, he can't yeah. fake it. And 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 he he has now I can feel him realizing that I have taken charge and I'm conducting this fucking yeah, orchestra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you, you're you either going to play or you're going to be fucking buried. And the beautiful thing about this moment is, like, who gives a fuck about the movie? Right, right. Right? Oh, like, yeah. I mean, this is like... It's, to this day, nobody gives a fuck about the movie.
0: Exactly. But what I'm saying is that you're, you're you know, you've pulled your shit together and you're working with the greatest that ever was and finally you're locked in. I love the fact that you can't see. All you can do is feel like a real fucking actor that you're locked in with the best actor that ever lived.
1: To make a long story short, I'll cut to the. I'll cut, so so that was a big breakthrough. And that scene, which should have taken a day and a half to shoot because the set was such a clusterfuck and because yeah. Frankenheim was so over his head. Yeah. That scene took five days. And every time we got finished with a shot, I would sit there because I, I didn't want to take my lenses out. I'd just sit there and wait. And Brando would go back to his trailer. And every time they got ready for him to come back, he would actually have to like move me because I would, I, I couldn't hear him, I couldn't feel him, and he would have to move me so he could get his overweight body into this chair. <laughs> and for five,
0: I, I like that your respect is diminished enough that we can now <laughs> we can refer to him as the fat Brando. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, you know, yeah. I mean, um, on day five. On day five. Uh, I'm sitting there and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and it's just a long relight. And so I'm sitting there for about an hour. And I guess uh, they say, okay, we're going to go with a picture and uh, ask Mister, invite Mr. Brando. And I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there. And I suddenly feel two hands violently grab my shoulders. <laughs> yeah. And I go, ah! <laughs> and I turn around and I hear Brando go, holy shit, what is that in your eyes?
2: And I go what he goes are you are you wearing lenses I go what are you asking me he goes wait a minute are you are you playing
1: this guy blind I go you're kidding right I said we've been doing this fucking scene for five days and it's the first time you realized I'm
2: playing him blind he goes holy fuck that's fucking brilliant oh we need to start again <laughs> if i knew you were playing him blind i would i would have done everything differently so he
1: thought you just were stinky actors he thought i was i was this big fucking loaf that wouldn't get out of his way when he wanted to get in his fucking chair he had no idea i couldn't see my hand in front of my face
2: oh my god and he said he said and he also said I'm, and by the way let me ask you something else i got here when i got here last week there was like uh, a whole basket of 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 really great latin cuban african jazz was that from you and i went yeah and i was wondering whether you got it cuz i never got you know i never i never got you know i never even heard like hey that's nice he goes dude i've been i've been in my fucking trailer dancing my ass off to that stuff how come you don't come in and hang out and dance with me <laughs> And I go, well, you know, <laughs>
1: and all of a sudden, you know, after five days, you know, he, and he slaps me on the face, like you know, which he loved to do. He, yeah, hey, yeah.
2: You you're beautiful kid. Thanks for the records, and, yeah.
1: and come, come to the trailer. Yeah. Which I never did, but um, it's a beautiful ending to uh, a, a, what got off on a rocky footing. You never went. No, I never, I never, I never felt like like I was his equal. I never felt like comfortable enough to just. Knock on his door and say, "Hey, hey, Marlon, uh, let's hang.
0: Did you do the scene again?
1: We finished the scene and 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 and, and at the end of the scene, you know he was, you could tell he was like, Nice job, kid. You know
0: did it play better
1: once he figured out that you were blind? No <laughs> <It didn't, laughs> nothing changed The movie's horrible. I mean the I movie's know, horrible know, the know, movie's know. just
0: was that wasn't there some weird debacle? Were you telling me that story that the the, the original director never left the set?
1: Well, he never left Australia. He was. He was. After he got fired, he kind of like, he kind of stayed there.
0: But did he like linger around and become an extra
1: or something? He did. He did. I, I'd. I'd prefer not. I'd love the guy so much, and I prefer not to talk about uh, how, how deeply negatively that affected him. But it really hurt him. Did it he? Really, was,
0: did he bounce back?
1: Um. He's in the documentary, and it seems as though he's made his peace with it. I was invited to be in the documentary, and I I, I chose not to, because I just there, there there's no reason to be in it unless you could tell everything that happened, and, and it would have hurt people um, to hear my. Was version. Val Kilmer in that too? Yeah. That was one of the that was one of the last moments of of when you know of because uh, at, at that point Val was he's was a huge deal. He was like the new Brando, right? Yeah.
0: What a great story, though. Yeah. Are you d- to this day? Do you regret not going to the trailer?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I. 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 I think it would be different now. I think. I think I could like actually relax around him now, but back then I was, you know, I just. I just couldn't. I just couldn't do it. I just. Just. You're Marlon Brando, and I'm, you know. Uh, really. Yeah.
0: So that's the fight you have. Yeah. Is that.
1: Yeah, it's always been a little bit of that, when I get around people who are, who 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 really take my breath away.
0: But it's funny though, don't you find? Look, I've talked to a lot of guys. I mean, you know, you're 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 a deep guy with an inner life. You're not vapid. You're you're a huge uh, a fan of this stuff. You know, like I, I, you've been in this business long enough to know that you're you're fairly uh, defined as a as a personality for an actor.
1: <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't but you know I I I've met a lot of actors who are who are uh uh they have a shyness. Yeah. You know, they have a, a kind of um there's something about them that where they're there's a place where they are not all that comfortable. Right. And I'm much more comfortable now than I've ever been. Um Is it a sensitivity in, in, in my own skin, but it took a long time. It took a lot of work. Yeah. It took a lot of uh of really uncomfortable moments like that where where uh, I mean when he when he decided that you know get get rid of that guy yeah he's a fucking it just clown just hurt you. oh god it, it was You threw up i
0: threw up but it's a, it's a sensitivity i guess i mean i guess it, like i never thought about it that way because a lot of people say that you know actors a lot of times are are, are a little not necessarily empty but but they're able to fill up with other emotions and and, and other characters because they're not that complicated but I guess the other side of that is the sensitivity. That mm. there has to be a vulnerability. That, that mm. whether you want it there or not is there. Mm. Yeah.
1: Right? I, I th- yeah. <laughs> Whatever. What are you, what are you oh, all right. What are you, now you're thinking? I'm thinking, like, oh shit. Uh, did you I've, what? I've, I've, I've just shared my inmost <laughs> <laughs> darknesses. This is going everywhere.
0: But, but it's good. I'm happy you did it. And I'm happy you're working so much.
1: Oh, thank you, thank you,
0: and I'm and I'm happy that we had this conversation. Me too, and I, uh, you know, I I, I didn't uh, I didn't mean to uh, to make anything sad.
1: No, 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 I'm not sad. I'm not okay. sad.
0: But like when I work with you, you know, uh, when we had that time, like I I felt the same way. Like because I, like I felt honored to work with a guy who you know who's a real actor, and like to see you work so effortlessly and seamlessly, and like I'm sitting there doing it with you, and and I'm like I, I like it just felt like we were just do just talking and stuff yeah. and, and then you look at the dailies and i'm like holy shit
2: this
0: guy's like he, he lives on screen you know like you know because yeah. like when i'm in it i'm like i just feel connected because i don't come from years of acting so i'm like i'm just talking to a guy and then you know i look at it, he's a fully formed character it's all all the craft just lands
1: right well thank you i mean i i actually was i've been you know i mean not to sound like i'm you know, quit quit pro crowing here but uh it was a it was a great experience. Work watching you work, watching you work on something that that springs so personally out of you, and y you're so you're so comfortable with 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 um, sharing with the world because it's it reflects a, a, a huge ability to admit, hey, I don't I don't I don't have it all all my shit together. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and but the way you performed it as an on a purely acting level was. Was wonderful. Oh, thank you, man! Wonderful.
0: That means a lot
1: to me. And um, no, it's it's it a cool thing to watch.
0: So outside of the book and outside of we're where, you know working on the thing, is there something that like because I know we had talked once about you uh, you know, you know just spending a lot of time with Freak and not something that something never happened. But is there something that you really want to do for yourself?
1: So uh, my conclusion to all of the, the the you know the the stuff that rum- well, I was ruminating about in trying to figure out why I even deserved to have a story to tell was, uh, and part of it was um, my daughter going to SUNY Purchase, which is an acting conservatory school, mm-hmm. and so she seemed like she was going to take the mantle. And um, in visiting her, I became Papa Ron and all these kids who were, who were in this arts program. Yeah. I'm taking them out for burgers and where where and I'm being invited to parties that you know they they're like raves and shit you yeah, know? Yeah. and I'm I'm being invited into the inner circle and I ended up getting very personally involved with a lot of these kids through their whole four-year educational thing. Oh yeah. And I and the more deeply involved I I became the more I realized I should I should be able to say something to them when they get out of school that can maybe Lighten their load, or 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 you know make the distance between point A and point B a little bit more direct, uh-huh. or, or something useful, something yeah. helpful, right? And this was um, one of the one of the other reasons why I wanted to write the book is because I've been answering a lot of questions from young actors uh-huh. who who like well? How, how do you do this and you know what do you and you know I, you know by going to school and learning how to play a scene that doesn't mean i know how to fucking talk to an agent or right what happens when you, i get a call back or what happens when when i suddenly i'm making a hundred thousand an episode you know how do i manage that i mean it's tricky there's, right. there's a lot of tricky shit in the business that's not just about um what you Acting. studied for right. the, the craft yeah and uh this is how privileged you are to be in this fucking business because if you look on the shoulders uh, of whom we're standing, yeah, yeah, you know, starting, you know, in the teens, in yeah. the 20s, yeah. in the 30s, everything that's mind-blowing that you can do on screen has already been done. Mm-hmm. It's already been done yeah. and it's been done by the fucking greatest people who ever walked the earth and if you ever lose sight of that and you ever, so the book was also like, A a a a mind your manners kind of thing. Yeah, and never get, never think that you're bigger than anything that's ever come because you're you're fucking tiny. Yeah, compared to some of the people who have, who have, paved the way for us. Yeah, so it's it's partially that, but it's partially like I can't tell everybody um, the edifices that have been built or not built in replacement of the ones that no longer exist. Yeah. are 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 bankrupt and one dimensional and bullshit, and they all they're just nothing but, you know, the worshiping of false idols, which is which is money. Uh-huh. I can't be that guy unless I can, you know. Like, what do you do about it? Yeah, you you, you can't just complain. You have to figure out. Okay, well, here's what I'm going to do. Right. And so uh, the movie studio is is my particular. Providing uh, a place for myself yeah. and people who might be like minded of, of me yeah. to ply our, our energies for reasons that aren't just driven by money, by bottom line. By so, you started money. a studio? Yeah. So, oh, yeah. I have a studio called Winging a Prayer Pictures, and we've now produced three films. And, Which films? Um, one is called The Runaround. Um, which is uh, looking for distribution right now. Another one is uh, called Pottersville with uh, um, the great Michael Shannon, oh, um, yeah, yeah. which is uh, in post-production right now. Oh, another great. one is um, All I See Is You, which is directed by Mark Forrester, which stars Blake Lively. And we have another four or five that are on the five-yard line, getting ready to get greenlit.
0: Oh, you're the so you're you, you've you've come full circle, and you're doing you're doing I, I the become beautiful Louis work. B, I
1: become Louis B. Fucking Mayor.
0: Congratulations, you're Mr. Welcome. Mayor.
1: And you know, I'd like to continue working with you, Mr. Marin.
0: Do I'm ready? I'm ready. I'm ready for my close-up, Good. Mr. Perlman. I know you are. Know you are. <laughs> it's great talking to you. Back at you, man. <laughs> That's it. That's the show. I thought it was beautifully human, and I love talking to him. Thank you, Ron. Again, thank you for listening, people. Uh, for my tour dates and my special More Later and then WTF merch, you can go to wtfpod.com, powered by Squarespace. Tap into the abstract primal truth. Or just listen to me play a little... Uh, let's do some more jazz whip trumpet. I feel like I... Not unlike my guitar playing my my jazz trumpet my hotel room trumpet kind of um, seems to fall back on similar similar riffs let me try, let me try let's pick it up let's let's pick up the swing i'm having a hard time with my uh, mouthpiece boomer lives